take a moment to think about the neighborhood you live in. Maybe you like where you live pretty well, or maybe you just tolerate it. Maybe you don't like it at all and would rather live anywhere else. Whose responsibility should it be to make that neighborhood better? I talked with two community developers who've written a manual called the Neighborhood Playbook. And according to them, it's up to all of us, developers and residents alike, to put the work in on the places where we live. So I asked them what people like you and me can do to make that happen. I'm Josh Morgan, and this is The Plural of You, the podcast about people helping people. I'm a data analyst and sociologist living in Baltimore, Maryland, and I produce this podcast for people who aren't ready to give up on humanity yet. There are lots of problems in the world, but I'm building an archive of solutions. I talk with leaders who have dedicated themselves to improving the lives of others, and I'm collecting their advice so that the rest of us can get involved too. Kevin Wright and Joe Nickel are two of those leaders. Kevin is the executive director of a nonprofit community development corporation, and Joe is an urban designer. They both live near Cincinnati, Ohio, in America's Rust Belt. The story of decline in the Rust Belt and in other regions of the United States isn't a new one. Many cities and towns that were built around old industries are still struggling to reinvent themselves. And massive job losses have been correlated with all sorts of social issues in America's communities like criminal justice and income inequality and the current opioid crisis, as well as problems associated with family structure, to name just a few. The greater Cincinnati metropolitan area is itself still struggling in many ways, but it's quietly become a hub for community development strategies and other types of collective impact work in the country. Kevin and Joe both got involved before they met one another, but they connected by chance over a zoning project. After that, they met up for coffee one morning and found that they had a lot in common. Kevin Wright. And we started just talking almost immediately about community development, urban planning, urban development in neighborhoods and how we thought it was being done wrong in many places. And the old system was not really working. And we, uh, we immediately started talking about a, a new idea. We then kept meeting and he moved here. And the second or third time we met, we met and we walked around a neighborhood in downtown called Over the Rhine. And I said to him that there is this event for this sort of groundbreaking for this project in Over the Rhine called People's Liberty. And so we kind of walked that direction and we went to that event. And that was the first introduction to People's Liberty. And we left that night. We said, hey, you know, maybe if we keep brainstorming about this and it turns into something tangible, we could apply for a grant and maybe do something with People's Liberty. People's Liberty is a philanthropic lab in Cincinnati that funds and mentors emerging leaders who have ideas for civic projects in the area. Kevin and Joe kept meeting and refining their ideas with the opportunity at People's Liberty in mind. And they narrowed a strategy for creating demand in struggling communities down to five steps. They later published an article titled Five Steps to Activating Your Neighborhood This Weekend to address the main problem they saw in the field of community development. Instead of people like us waiting around for big entities to save our communities with big fixes, what's stopping us from taking action? They did some testing on the five steps with the help of People's Liberty and modified them into what became the neighborhood playbook. Joe Nickel. The five things, uh, five ways you can activate your neighborhood this weekend was really a retrospective of work that Kevin's organization and in my organization that I now uh, work with had done over the past several years. So it was a look back at what were the common elements that made uh, each of those examples unique. 
we didn't know at the time, but that was really the beginning of the conversation about the neighborhood playbook. So the five steps or plays in the neighborhood playbook go like this. First, there's a basic goal setting exercise where you define something you want to do in your community. It can be smaller, like build more public benches or something larger, like bring a restaurant to my block. You wouldn't necessarily have to start a business or own the thing yourself if you can find someone else to do it. But from there, play one is pick a space. And the book has guidance on how to pick a location you can imagine that people would visit. Play two is pick an amenity or deciding the use of the space that would best accommodate the people you have in mind. This can get pretty deep depending on the size and the budget. But the important part here is finding other community members who will get on board. Play three is broadcasting with lots of tips on generating buzz and on hosting events for the new place. Play four is a reflective phase, rethink, evolve, repeat, where you would adjust the project based on what's happened so far. And then play five is develop, where you would use the success of this amenity to restart the play cycle around another amenity. And that's how you build community. Kevin and Joe believe this is the best way to build demand and quality of life in our communities. I bought a copy of the playbook, and I've never seen another book like it. It's basically two books, but combined into one, like the shape of an uppercase letter N, if you can imagine that. Kevin and Joe wrote one side with the five plays and tips for developers, and then the same five plays on the other side with tips for people like you and me. The idea is that readers from both sides will meet in the middle. In that sense, Joe likes to think of the playbook as an empathy tool. Yeah, yeah. And we spent a lot of uh, kind of brain damage figuring out you know, <laughs> what is the most uh, effective way to communicate this. We wanted to simplify it as much as possible because the real innovation and creativity and complexity is what people do with it, not what the concepts are. I believe it was Kevin that mentioned in, in your first conversation at the coffee shop about the problems you had with the old system, quote unquote, of community development. Right. What is the old system that, that you're looking to improve upon? The, one of the biggest problems, if not the biggest problem, is oftentimes communities are fearful of development and developers because... They might get displaced or their culture might be replaced. Right. It can be everything from a fear of displacement, which is real, you know, because we've all seen it happen places, to from a different audience, a fear of just bad development. It can be a variety of factors depending on the context of the neighborhood. And also, developers are fearful of community. They often don't go into certain neighborhoods because they don't know how to deal with community. They don't know how to work with them. They're afraid that the community will fight them and they'll spend a lot of money on pre-development and architecture and their project will get shut down. And a common belief that Joe and I have is all of the issues that stem from, say, a big thing like poverty, education, health, housing. The only way we're going to solve those problems is for neighborhoods, urban neighborhoods to be growing in a way that is inclusive and authentic to the place and it creates opportunities that are accessible for everyone. One of the foundations of our work on the playbook was that we were seeing across the country, in Joe's case as a consultant, and here in Cincinnati, these neighborhoods that are high on potential, nothing happening because developers weren't entering the market. So the physical nature of the neighborhood wasn't changing. It was staying blighted and vacant. The community is still suffering in many ways. The school is failing, high crime rates, high poverty rates, uh, high unemployment rates, etc. 
when we talked about it, about that problem I just outlined, the system contributes to that. And the current system is that planners, urban planners and policymakers say, hey, everybody, let's get into a room, a church basement, a library, a rec center. Let's spend a couple of weeks looking at maps, talking about strengths and weaknesses, putting dots on a map. And then that process just ends. The plan gets adopted. Everybody goes home. And then time goes by. And if you're lucky, something happens. Although in most places, nothing happens. But if you're lucky, something happens. But it takes two to three years. And the result tends to be kind of a monolithic, quote unquote, catalytic new construction development that demolishes urban historic fabric and scares people. And they don't even really remember being a part of the plan. It was two to three years ago. And they kind of look at it and say, well, I remember doing that. But this isn't what we talked about. So the playbook is the first kind of tool for people to start bridging that gap. The playbook is designed for both of those audiences. It's the same five plays for the developer and for the community. So that's why when you meet in the middle, it encourages you as a community member to read the other side and see how it is written for developers. So you can empathize with that developer's point of view and maybe understand them better and vice versa. There's a sense that we're all in it together, that there wasn't some top-down approach where some entity was driving the change alone. One reason I find Kevin's and Joe's five plays model so intriguing is because it seems so simple on paper, but the legwork can be equal parts fun and challenging. It reminds me of the slogan for the board game Othello, five minutes to learn, a lifetime to master. Now, I'm not saying that this or any other type of community development is a sure thing. I mean, these efforts fail all the time due to all sorts of factors. But another reason I like the five plays relates to Kevin's and Joe's original question. What's keeping people from working together on these types of projects? The answer in many cases seems to be a fear of the unknown. Regular folks often don't feel qualified or well-connected enough, and developers often can't see past the economic risks of placemaking. I think the playbook does a good job of presenting formulas to solve many of those unknown variables. One of the reasons we called it the playbook is because we're kind of the coach as the author of the playbook, but we can't be out there on the field with you if you're holding the book. Oh, okay. You've got to make the plays. And the reason it's so visually interesting is because it's not supposed to be read sitting on your couch. It's supposed to be shoved in your back pocket and used and drawn in and kind of bent up. And so we're hopeful that it can be kind of tailored to whoever's holding it. I'm glad you put it that way because it's definitely like a field manual for building trust among all these different stakeholders. That's right. And, you know, it's a it's a static book, right? You buy it, you get it, and it is what it is. It's meant to be used. But we thought it was also important to uh, give a kind of live uh, resources piece to it. So when you buy the book, you get access to this kind of live network of uh, resources where, you know, you can find tips and tools and supplementary material to help you execute those plays on the field. So you may be in play three, which is, uh, you know, broadcasting and, and marketing. And we've got a whole set of tools and ways that that's been done the way we've done it in our own projects. Everything from how you build a, a presser and a, and, a, and a marketing plan to uh, how you get people to find your space. What we've found is that that's a really great way to keep it fresh, that people can keep kind of referring back to, and the tool becomes kind of dynamic in that way. Kevin and Joe have proven this approach to community development throughout their professional careers. Kevin told me about a vacant firehouse building in the Cincinnati area that 
he helped convert into a restaurant. And he said that the community has expanded on that project since then. And now the neighborhood is in the midst of a $50 million renovation. The trick to this approach is to put our complaints about a community aside and look for potential assets, which are always going to be based on the people who live there and the physical features. So what we focused on was changing the story through programming and creating demand. And, and what I realized in my first couple of years in the job is that programming is not just a, an event in a street once a year or an event in a, a giant field twice a year. It's a very specific type of programming and you can you read about it in the book, but that created the demand necessary to get the developers and the private investors to say, hey, maybe I should invest here. The, the building's cheap. The land's cheap. There are people here clearly who care. And the communities come together on this idea. And so when Joe and I first met, we talked about demand and supply and how instead of leading with supply instead of going into a neighborhood and saying, this neighborhood needs more housing. Let's build a hundred houses. We think the neighborhood should create demand and let the demand drive what happens in the neighborhood. The part that was hard was putting that into book form because we just couldn't figure out how to create a book that said that. I, I could see holding a copy of the book, it would be difficult to explain that if you didn't know, don't know exactly how to interpret that into words. Right. Because it you start talking about it and it sounds like, oh, well, it's an event planning book. Well, no, it's not a, it's not a step-by-step event planning book, but it's kind of close to that. At one point, we were dead set on the idea that it should be a, a choose-your-own-adventure book. Uh, we liked the idea of it being playful and fun, and we just couldn't figure that out. And then we became dead set on this idea that it should be two books, one for, for a developer and one for the community. That's where it landed. But at the time, then it was like, okay, we're going to print two books. And then do we sell them separately? And then we said, no, no, they should really be the same book because we want the developer to see it through the community's eyes and vice versa. That was when we finally had a light bulb moment. And then the resource page on the website Joe mentioned is funny because we had hundreds of pages of text for the book. And then we took it to the designer and they said, this should not be a text-heavy book. <laughs> yeah, they told us to cut it down and we cut it down and we took it to them and they said, uh, you, didn't, you didn't really cut it you down. You actually cut it too big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was this really frustrating process of getting it down to where it, yeah, it has very few words, really. It's illustrative. It was obvious a lot of work went into it. It's very well refined. Thank you. And it's getting a lot of use too. The, the feedback's been good. The uh, the number of corners of the country and even internationally that it's touched has been really remarkable. We think that we kind of touched on a nerve. I would say that there's a lot of parallels to other things that are going on in community development that this book touches on. But what we have found in talking to folks is that this is unique in the, in the way that it pulls it together, geared toward achieving specific outcomes that the neighborhood has for place. I mean, you kind of hinted at, at this already, but what would you say excites you both about presenting the neighborhood playbook? For me, I get excited at the prospect of community members, community leaders, and developers working together. and realizing that they're playing for the same team. Right now, there's a divide and they don't see the commonality. Developers are not community development people. Developers are developers. They know how to make money developing buildings. And community members understand, even in the neighborhoods that are very fearful of development, they want less vacant buildings. They want more shops in their neighborhood. They want better schools and better streets and better public transit. 
I get excited about a possible outcome where this book is used in a neighborhood that is stagnant and it helps them get some some momentum and, and rethink what development can mean to them. Just to build on that, I, I think, you know, when I think about that question of what excites me most about the playbook, I, I often think about the first time we actually used it with a community in Bellevue, Kentucky. We put the book in the hands of five kind of unsuspecting residents and had a couple beers with them, talked to them a little bit about the concepts uh, behind it and the thinking behind it. And we, we took a walk. We walked down our main street, toured a stretch of that street that had kind of been written off. People were afraid about what was going to happen there. And here we had five people. No one would think to ask how to do development in their own community. We stumbled upon this building and that building created a kind of courtyard to the side of it that was used for parking sometimes. And we started thinking about this space and it was getting dark at this point. And you could see the, after hearing the methodology of what the playbook coaches you on, how the light started going off in these folks head. And they started saying, well, we could do this here and we could attract this here. And I remember that vividly because three months after that time, we launched with them the first old Kentucky makers market and filled that space with people in a time and a place that the community didn't think anybody would march down to that end of the block or that there was any reason to care about that building or, or that stretch of space or certainly that dusty parking lot. And we created this thing where 400 people would show up. People started talking about not only that space differently, but Bellevue differently as a kind of younger, hipper place where, you know, has great family life that you can walk to uh, events on the regular. Oh, and by the way, there's a couple buildings that have gone dark that can attract investment and serve the neighborhood as an amenity. And since that time, we've ran that event monthly since with a brief interruption for the winter. That building has changed hands. It's redeveloping. They're using the uh, old Kentucky Makers Market to you know, figure out who the tenants are in that building. It's becoming this energy uh, around Bellevue and around specifically that stretch of Main Street. And just to kind of put a point on that, like one story we often tell that surprised all of us as to what this, this could become, we had that first event. And, you know, again, a lot of people were wondering what's going to happen. Are you going to attract anybody? The biggest problem we had in that event was we didn't have enough stroller parking. And it's important to know that Bellevue is not commonly associated as a place to go if you have young kids, even though there are tons of young families in that neighborhood. What that proved was not only was this an active, fun place for young parents to live, but Bellevue can be a great place for families to live. And since that time, I mean, and who's to say how much of this is directly related to that experience, but we've been successful in getting new families to move to Bellevue. The whole conversation about schools is, is changing. It's just there's a new kind of confidence in talking about Bellevue that is altogether encouraging. If someone is listening and they're interested in building community where they live in a similar way, but maybe they don't have a copy of the book yet, what would be the best way for them to start in your opinion? Well, even before buying the playbook, which uh, we recommend and we can plug uh, right now at neighborhoodplaybook.com. For sure. What we found was a common element for folks who are interested in this process are ones that are you know used to sitting on their porch or their back deck or their couch with their friends or their family and saying, man, wouldn't it be nice if we could walk to X? 
that's been a really powerful uh, kind of audience. And, and what we would encourage that audience to do is just to start with a walk and maybe a pad of paper and start to think about what might be possible or even what might be desired. And then that might be a good segue into, if there's some energy there, into utilizing uh, the playbook. So that's the community standpoint. From the developer standpoint, we've been really encouraged in when we've worked with folks that represent a lot of developers or our developers and our clients, they're kind of having a problem from the opposite side. They understand the strength of the urban market, that the fact that both uh, there's a convergence of young people who want to live in the cities as well as boomers who want to move back to the cities. And they want to be in these active, vibrant, walkable areas. What they're finding is that there's only two or three hot areas in any city that they feel comfortable parking uh, risky development. You know, a new multifamily building, a new condo building, new mixed use, whatever the case may be. And they're coming and telling us, we need to build a thousand units in Cincinnati over the next five years, but there's not enough sites. What they're saying is that in the two or three neighborhoods that have reached stability enough to attract their kind of investment, that there's it's hard to find land suitable to fit their development model. And so how we interpret that is that the playbook can actually help you do site selection and find neighborhoods that are maybe off the radar or have a lot of potential, but nobody knows where to start. And that may be an 18, 24-month process of working with the community or not doing it on your own. But suddenly, the, the kind of land availability or building availability increases several fold. I'm going blank on where the where I read this. It may have been in the book, but it may have been on your website. But you talked about this being something that isn't easy. And that's why your type of community development isn't more popular, I guess. But now that you've provided the tools, I feel like this is something that could you know become more prominent going forward. We hope so. Where would be the best place to follow you and your work online? Uh, well, our website is neighborhoodplaybook.com, which has links to all of our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're on Pinterest as well. We found Pinterest to be a really interesting uh, medium for the playbook because what we've done is we've created Pinterest pages for the different plays in the book. As an example, one of the plays is broadcast, which essentially is another word for marketing. So there are Pinterest images for different creative ways to market your space or market your neighborhood. Yeah, that makes total sense to use Pinterest for that. Yeah. And then we're on the verge of we are going to form some kind of a group online, maybe a Facebook group or something that starts to connect to the users of the book so they can share what they're doing with it and share ideas and share challenges and so forth. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I'll have to keep a watch out for that myself. You kind of touched on this earlier. The playbook process is asking for more from community and volunteers than the typical traditional plot process that just asks you to show up to meetings. We're asking you to show up to meetings and then we're asking you to stay involved and to activate your neighborhood. On the other hand, a couple of things that every neighborhood does is devotes time and money to events and devotes time and money to cleanups. We're simply asking that instead of just throwing your normal event and doing your normal cleanup to take those resources and, and use the playbook to focus them in a more intentional way. So it might be that some communities are already doing the work. They just need a little bit of adjustment in how they're doing it. As simple and succinct as this book is, I feel like it's very powerful and it has a lot of potential. So I just want to say thank you again for all your hard work on it. Yeah, I appreciate that. Thanks. We're, uh, we're excited because we know who's bought it and how many people have bought it, but I'd love, we'd like to get a sense of how usable it is. And are people using it? Are they struggling? 
So it'll be interesting. What I've learned from Kevin and Joe is that community development doesn't have to be this enormous out of reach process that we sometimes imagine it to be. There are certainly caveats and we have to be willing to let go of our own ideas and compromise sometimes to see them grow. But at least we have the steps now to get out and start something new. If you'd like to get involved in community development where you live, here's a recap of the solutions you can try. First, check out neighborhoodplaybook.com for some inspiration related to the five plays. Again, those were pick a place, pick an amenity, broadcast, rethink, evolve, and repeat, and develop. Second, don't ever feel like your idea wouldn't be a good fit for your neighborhood or your community without asking about it first. If you've thought about changing something in your neighborhood, talk with the people who live near you, especially your neighbors. I mean, run it by everybody. The important thing is to try, even if you don't feel like an expert, because who knows, that idea you're sitting on might be the one to reinvigorate demand in your part of the world. This is The Plural of You. I'm Josh Morgan, and the show's website is pluralofyou.org. That's all for now. Thank you for being kind today. Take care. 